Uh, you all, it's been said that uh, Jesus did not leave behind um, a book. He didn't write a book. But what Jesus did leave behind was a community, a community called uh, the church. Today we're going to look at this line in the Apostles' Creed, uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the communion uh, of saints. And this line, these two lines, really raised some questions. What does it mean that the church is holy? Uh, what does it mean that the church is Catholic with a lowercase c? And why is being part of this community so important? And to help answer those questions, I'd really like to read from Ephesians 4, a chapter, yeah, Ephesians 4, verses 1 uh, through 6. I'm turn there now. You can follow along. Okay. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, thanks for bringing us together. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. We pray that he would open our eyes to see and ears to hear and just our hearts to understand. Help us to receive and believe Jesus just more and more, we pray in his name. Amen. First question I really want to tackle tonight uh, is what does it mean that the church is holy? What does it mean that the church is holy? You know, morally speaking, Christians are no better uh, than their non-Christian neighbors, morally speaking. That's to say people filling church pews on Sunday and committing their lives to Christ are just as broken and just as needy as those who aren't doing any of those things. But if this is true, if it's true that those inside the church are not morally superior to those outside of it, in what sense is the church to be called holy? And the word holy has some interesting uh, connotations and associations. You know, when I say the word holy... Uh, certain thoughts or maybe images uh, come to mind. Maybe the word holy conjures up images of Buddhist monks uh, spinning prayer wheels in a Tibetan monastery. Perhaps you think of Mother Teresa caring for orphans in Calcutta. Human beings with halos over their heads. Spiritual superstars whose feet never seem to touch the floor. For others of you, Right? The word holy has a different, much more negative uh, association. Someone who is holy is often holier than thou. Right? A self-righteous prig, noses in the air, no fun. The only floor that their feet won't touch is a dance floor. But the problem is that holiness is neither of these. Holiness does not mean perfection, and holiness is not the same thing as prudery or pride. 
Okay, to be holy is to be set apart. Okay, to be holy is to be called out. That's what it means. Which is to say a holy church is a set-apart people. Right? A holy church is a called-out people. People who have been set apart, people who have been called out. But set apart by whom? Right? And called out for what purpose? And those are good questions. Within the sort of big uh, circle of society, you have this smaller circle of people who comprise the church, who make up the people of God. The church does not exist out of this world, but finds itself very much uh, in the midst of it, right? In the thick of it. What sets the church apart from society or apart from the world, as I've said, is not its moral excellencies. Anyone who knows an ounce of church history knows that, The church is filled with guilty, corrupt, and corrupted human beings, like me, But this is not just the church's problem. Okay, you will find just as many guilty, corrupt, and corrupted human beings outside the walls of the church. Right? The truth is nobody is living a perfectly good life. Nobody in the church or outside of it is righteous. Even though we all know deep down inside that we probably should be. Right? Nobody is righteous, even though we all know that the world would be a better place if we stopped being so selfish and started putting the needs of others above ours, uh, or even just on the same footing as our own. Right? But nobody is doing this, and certainly not all the time. Every single one of us is afflicted with selfishness, and self-centeredness, and other self-interested behavior. And there's nothing unique about that. But what is unique, and what does set the church apart, uh, is the solution to this perennial uh, problem. For the longest time, my biggest beef with Christianity was not with Jesus, but with his followers. I had no problem with Christ, but I had lots of problems with Christians. Uh, My early experiences uh, with the church were mostly negative. Uh, Honestly, it wasn't that Christians were worse uh, than other people that I knew. They just simply seemed worse to me because they seemed to know better. Right? Christians claimed to have the law of God, but none of them We're living up to it. What hypocrites. Right? They have these high standards, but they're not keeping them. And then I realized, I have much lower standards than them. And I'm not living up to my own lower standards. Right? I'm a hypocrite too. You're a hypocrite too. As somebody has said, if hypocrisy were helium, all of us would talk funny. Some of us would float away. (laughs) Right? But I love that, right? If hypocrisy were helium, we'd all talk funny. Some of us would float away. 
right around uh, the time that I sort of had that epiphany, uh, there was a man who I really respect and admire. He, he challenged me. He said, John, you've got a problem with the church, right? Because you think that people inside it are just like everybody else, liars and hypocrites and the rest. Right? You think that Christianity is fake uh, and the church is phony because everyone involved with it is messed up. Said, but what about hospitals? I said, what do you mean? What about hospitals? They said, well, think about it. Okay, hospitals are in the business of making people healthy, about making people well. All about recovery, all about wellness. But when you step inside a hospital, what do you see? You see a bunch of sick people. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, you see a bunch of sick people. Let me fix this. Um... This, this piece right here? There we go. Well, you know what? This is awkward, but I'll do it. There we go. Um, if I look down a little bit more than normal, that's why. Um, okay. What about hospitals? All about health, right? All about recovery. But you step inside, you go to the one right here on campus, what are you going to see? Right? All you're pretty much going to see is a bunch of sick people. You're going to see a bunch of diseased and dying people. Right? Hospitals are magnets for sick people. And this doesn't mean that hospitals are fake, and it doesn't mean that they are phony. It's simply that hospitals are in the business of making sick people well. They attract people who are desperate to be cared for. They attract people who are desperate to be cured. Now listen to me, and this is the kicker. What is true of hospitals is true of the church as well. Okay, the church is not a country club for the morally upstanding. It's a hospital for sinners. There are a bunch of sin-sick people inside the church, and there are a bunch of sin-sick people outside of it. But those on the inside have been set apart. Right? They've been called out, and they've come under the care of a good physician. Like a hospital, church is where spiritually sick people go uh, to be made well. Church is not a do-gooders club. It's a hospital uh, for sinners. And this insight, right, this challenge from a friend, really revolutionized the way that I saw the church and revolutionized the way I really felt about it, feel about it even to this day. And here's a question that I'd like to ask you. When you step inside of a church, do you only see sinners? Do you only see messed up people living messed up lives? Or do you see redemption as well? Sure, you see sinners, but do you see sinners being healed or in the process of being healed? Do you see or detect doctors and nurses working behind the scenes? Do you see the effects of the gospel on other people's lives, helping them to live healthier, happier, and more wholesome lives? And here's why this matters. 
If all you see is sin-sick people and all you expect to see is perfection, you will always be disappointed with the church. You will always want to keep your distance. You will always want to shut God out and shut the church down. However, if you begin to see that you're not all that different uh, from the people inside, that your life is messy, and that their lives are messy too, that your life is painful, and that you need grace just as much as the next guy, the next girl, if you can admit that, you will admit yourself. You will admit yourself to the care of a good physician, and you'll be added to his list of patients. Okay, faith in Christ, right, really coming under his care, is what separates the church uh, from the world. But that's not the only thing that sets it apart. The church is also set apart by God for a very special purpose. Set apart, called out by God for a very special mission. The church is called out by God to bear witness to who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, but just as a reminder, right, to be a witness is to show and to tell. With the words that you use and the actions that you embody, make Jesus more visible. Make him more credible to those around you. With the words that you use and the actions that you embody, make the kingdom of God, make heaven more visible here on earth. Make it more tangible, more concrete, more real. Give us a glimpse. And nobody is going uh, to do this perfectly, but that's not an excuse not to try. Seriously, like, no one's going to do it perfectly, but that's not an excuse not to try. Right? Imagine a person who refuses to play the piano because she says, I'm never going to be as good as Mozart. What a tragic way to live. Like, what an impoverished sort of life. Just because you can't and won't play the piano like Mozart doesn't mean you can't play the piano. And it doesn't mean that you can't play it well. Of course, that takes practice, but so does anything and everything worthwhile in your life. Similar, similarly, just because you won't live a perfect life like Jesus doesn't mean you can't live life and live it well. See, the whole reason that you've been set apart and come under the care of a good physician is so that you can start trying, start practicing, start playing, start living. This mission, right, to make Jesus more visible and his kingdom more tangible, concrete, and real, is unique to the church. God has handpicked these people to do this job. Nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is even trying. 
from the words of Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you can show others the goodness of God who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. The church is holy. But we also say the church is Catholic. Catholic with a lowercase c. The adjective Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. When we capitalize C, that's what that means. The word Catholic, lowercase c, means universal. means all-encompassing. You look up in a dictionary, that's what you're going to read, right? The universal church, the all-encompassing church. Right? The Catholic church is the church universal. It's, it includes Christians all across the world, from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. Okay, the Catholic Church, lowercase e, certainly includes Catholics, Roman Catholics, but it's not only Roman Catholics. The one universal, all-encompassing Church of God includes Orthodox Christians and Protestant Christians. It includes Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, so on and so forth. The church is one body uh, with many parts, as we read in our passage tonight. One body with many parts. But there is unity uh, and there is diversity within the church uh, at the same time. But what brings us all together? And what really binds us together, sort of holds us in place? What unites us? The church is not bound together because we all share the same age or sex or gender or race. I mean, that's not the basis of our unity. We speak different languages. We come from different places, geographically speaking. We have different educations and life experiences. We don't have the same interests or hobbies. Not necessarily. We don't share a common politic. We don't vote the same way in November. We occupy different income levels. Some are poor, some are rich, and some are in between. We have different personality types and skill sets. And we have a wide variety of strengths as well as weaknesses. I mean, talk about an eclectic group of people. Like, talk about a strange society. A place, I like to say, of unlikely friendship. You know, in the outing club, at least you know that everybody likes the outdoors, right? And on the intramural basketball team, that everybody likes to play basketball. And in the Young Republicans Club, everybody ostensibly is voting Republican. But what about this group? No, what about the church? Or what even about RUF? of which it's just a foretaste of the church. I mean, if you stop to think about this, this even right here, right, this collection of people in this room is really one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse communities on the UVM campus. Is there anything that holds this mass of diversity and contradictions uh, together? 
Like, what is it that unites us? Why are we bound together? Well, what unites us is not any of the things that I've just mentioned. What, you, what does unite us can be found in verses 4 through 6 of tonight's passage. Okay, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Y'all, let me put it to you this way. If you worship Christ as king, and I worship Christ as king, that means we belong to the same kingdom. That means that we're fellow citizens. If you pray to God as dad, and I pray to God as dad, that means that we're family. It means that we're brothers and sisters. If Jesus gives you his spirit and makes you a new creation, and then does the same and makes you a new creation, and you a new creation, and you a new creation, and so on and so forth, Jesus is not just creating new persons. He's creating a new community. He's not just making new individuals. He's making a new kind of humanity. See, our sinfulness separates us and polarizes us and sets up walls that should never, ever divide us. But Jesus, by his spirit, is tearing those walls down and he's bridging those gaps. He's uniting people together who would never maybe associate together. And he's doing that in love and for the sake of love. Love of God and love of others and love for this world. And all that is to say is that we have a common origin, a common baptism, and a common hope. Okay, the Catholic Church is one body with many parts. A community of persons across time and space who wouldn't naturally associate with one another, but who have been brought together by God. We wouldn't normally hang out, you and I. But God has brought us together. Lots of you would never have crossed paths on this campus. Never would have thought to have been friends with the person sitting next to your left and right. But God has brought you together. Because God has chosen us in love, because he's chosen us in love, we need to learn how to love each other. And this brings me to my third and final point. Okay. A churchless Christian is an oxymoron. A churchless Christian is an oxymoron. I didn't say moron. I said oxymoron. All right? It's a kind of contradiction in terms. Here's why. A Christian is somebody who's been united to Christ by faith. And if you belong to him, you also belong to his body here on earth. That is why the idea of a churchless Christian makes zero sense. You can't be connected to him and disconnected to his body at the same time. Those who join themselves to Christ are automatically joined, united, bound up with those who have done the exact same thing. Right? You're grouped together, like it or not. 
If you were walking down College Street and you found a severed arm on the sidewalk, what would you do? What would you think? I imagine it'd be kind of, uh, help? (laughs) Right? Maybe something like that. Look, an arm just lying on the sidewalk, disconnected from its body, it's not normal. It's not okay. Something is wrong. It's grotesque. It's dying. It's useless. And from a biblical perspective, so is the idea of you trying to live your life cut off from the church. It's grotesque. You're dying and you're useless. Something grotesque is comically distorted and it's inappropriate to a shocking degree. Right? A churchless Christian is distorted, inappropriate, out of place because you were made for community. You were made in the image of a triune God. Just say you were made for relationships with God, with others, with this world. Now, sin ruins all of these primary, fundamentally human relationships. Jesus has come to save you. Just say he's come to salvage what's been ravaged by sin. He's come to put back together the broken pieces of your life and the broken pieces of the fall. All I have to say is you've been made for community and you're being saved uh, for community. Now, in your sin, in your sin, you are trying to live a fiercely independent life, self centered, totally free, free from any sort of constraints free of any sort of responsibility, free to do whatever the heck you feel like. And Jesus says, yeah, that's really messed up. That's not how you were made. That's not what you were created for. You're living like a dislocated life. And he's like, here, let me help you out with that. And as he pops your life back into place just like you might pop a dislocated shoulder. It's like, that's better. In community is the way you are meant to live. An arm, when it's connected to the body, has blood and life coursing through its veins. But cut off from the body, it begins to rot and die. A Christian who cuts themselves off from the church separates themselves from Christ's body, from Christ's spirit, from Christ's life. See, the spirit of God dwells within the church, within the temple of God. The good news about Jesus Christ is preached in the church. The Lord's Supper, which Jesus has given to us as spiritual food, right, to feed and to nourish our faith, It is only administered in the church. Cut yourself off from the church, and you cut yourself off from all of these things, the things that you need to live and to grow. But that's not all. By cutting yourself off from the church, you also cut yourself off from a treasure trove of friendship, wisdom, love, and care that exists all around you. 
Now, some of you think, I don't need the church because I've got an iPhone. I don't need the church because I have a laptop and I can worship with people over like a a web feed. But would you please consider this? If you get in a car wreck, if you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, if you are struggling with doubt and you have questions that you need to talk to somebody about, the pastor that you are listening to online, he's not going to visit you in the hospital. He's not going to pray with you. He's not going to buy you lunch and hang out with you one-on-one. Only a local pastor can do that. On Sunday, you're worshiping with all of these people via some web feed. But they don't know you. And you don't know them. They are not hanging out with you. You are not making friends in that moment. You are not connecting with other people. You're not doing life together or having fun together. You're all alone in your dorm room. And you're probably all alone on a Friday or Saturday night. That is not the kind of life Jesus intends for you to live. He wants you to know and to be known. He wants you to love and to be loved by others. And towards that end, he intends to connect you with a body of believers that is called the local church. Finally, a churchless Christian is pretty useless. Right? Connected to the body, an arm can do all sorts of things to help the body and to extend help to others when it's connected right, to the body and not just lying there on College Street. Right? Disconnected, it starts to suffer, the body suffers, and the people who are going to receive help from that person, they begin to suffer too. If you don't like the church... Would you all make it better? Would you inject life into it? Would you serve it? Maybe love her? Don't just be somebody who takes and takes and takes and takes. Don't just be a consumer. Uh, Find ways uh, to give back. Because I know you. And I know you have all sorts of gifts. All sorts of great things that you, could, that you bring to the table. Like, can you bring that to the church? Like, what would it mean for you to share your gifts with others? To get connected and have the life of Jesus not just flow into you, but flow out of you as well. Be useful. I know that the church has issues. Because you and I have issues. And we are the sorts of people who make up the church. But Jesus loves his church. He loves you and he loves me. He's happy to associate with us, to call us his body, indeed to call us his bride. If you were to say to me, John, I love you, but I hate Megan. I love you, but I hate your wife. 
I hate to break it to you, but we're not going to be friends. If you say to me, like, I want to spend time with you, but I don't want to have any sort of association with you, we're not hanging out. (laughs) There's no friendship there. Jesus is not down for that. He's not. Christians believe in the Holy Catholic Church, which is to say Christians participate in the life of the church. If you're not connected to the church and you'd like to be, I would love to help you do that. If you're not and you want to, let me know. I'd be happy to plug you in. And if you are connected, good. Let me help you stay there. Let me help you love it and be loved by it. Let me help you serve it and be served by it. The church is good. It's where you're going to grow. Not just when you graduate, but you can start even now. Let's pray.